Welcome, everybody. Let's talk real estate. Your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current commercial real estate market here in Southern California. As we take a no BS look at both sides of the issues driving this market today to find the best solutions going forward. With our man right in the middle, Barry Saywitz. Hey, Barry. Hey, good morning, Paul. And good morning to all of our viewers and our listeners out there. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's Tuesday, we're talking real estate. I am Barry Saywitz, president of the Saywitz Company and managing partner of Barry Saywitz Properties. And uh, we're back here again uh, another Tuesday talking some more real estate. Before we get going, I do want to do a shout out since today is Valentine's Day. Uh, I want to wish a happy Valentine's Day to my sweetheart, to my family, uh, and to everybody else out there who has a sweetheart. And for those who don't have a sweetheart, still have a happy Valentine's Day. So uh, enough with the mushy stuff. I want to move on to something a little more exciting and fruitful. Today's real estate topic, I'm excited. We have a very special guest with us. Uh, Our guest is Carrie Vandell, who is the Dean's Professor uh, Emeritus of Real Estate uh, and uh, here at UCI. Uh, so he didn't have to come far to come and join us this morning. Kerry, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Barry. Yeah, so you have a, a long history here at UCI and uh, with the Center for Real Estate uh, and, and in real estate in general. You've been here since 2006 and sort of helped get the Center for Real Estate at UCI going. I, I guess talk to me about how that sort of transpired and, and how you got in into uh, real estate, I guess, number one, and then number two, how you ended up here. You're starting at the beginning, huh? Yeah, I let's rewind. Let's go. The, I won't go back all the way, but uh, no, I um, actually uh, grew up in Texas, uh, from Amarillo, Texas, originally, and went to Rice University uh, back in the mid to late 60s, interesting times, uh, and um, had intended to go into aerospace engineering, but they went to the moon about that time, and I saw that there wasn't going to be a lot to do. Uh, so I thought, well, what else is there to do where I could use my engineering background, my interest in a variety of different issues um, having to do with essentially engineering or applied topics. Uh, and I happened to take a class the last year I was at Rice that related generally to urban development issues. And uh, one of our guest speakers was a young man back then named Gerald Hines. Sure, sure. And uh, Gerald Hines had, had had a background in mechanical engineering, as I did, mechanical and aerospace. And he started building industrial properties back in the, in the 60s in, in Houston uh, and, um, and was just about to start uh, the Galleria complex at that time. And after that presentation, I never realized until later that it totally transformed my life in that it made me <laughs> realize that real estate was much more fascinating than getting oil out of the ground, which was where I was headed otherwise. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I decided to go back to graduate school in real, real estate-related um, issues. That was also a period of time during the late 60s, early 70s, when there was a lot of interest in urban problems, urban development. Right, right. And so I went uh, off to programs uh, in those areas, at, at first at Harvard, where I got my master's at the Graduate School of Design at the time, and then in, at MIT when I, I completed my, my Ph.D. there, I guess it was 1976 is when I began my academic career, uh, and uh, did a variety of things there and in getting involved in research, much reading, 
much interaction with a lot of interesting people at the time, both from uh, the private sector and, and the public sector who were involved in problems of housing, urban development, real estate development in the private sector and how that related to it was a very different attitude. Honestly. Certainly different times yeah, and, uh, right. for a lot of reasons. Right. But I finished in uh, 70, uh, 76 and went off to decide to go back to Texas. And I was uh, offered a position at um, what became the Cox School of Business at SMU in Dallas and uh, served there until I was uh, 1985. I was a full professor at that at that time. Excuse me. Actually, 1985, 1989. Uh, when I uh, went off uh, to um, uh, to the University of Wisconsin, where I was recruited to head that program, which had been had been a, a very long-standing, well-regarded program. For those of you who are Badgers out there, and many of you that don't know about that, there's a whole Wisconsin mafia even out here in Southern California that were many of whom were Grasscamp students. Yeah. Jim Grasscamp, who was an acknowledged lion uh, in the field at that time. So I, I took on the difficult job of succeeding him. No one could replace Jim Grasscamp, but the program continued to develop and expand and was highly regarded. I left Wisconsin uh, in uh, actually 2006, and that's another story. I was recruited out here by Andy Policano, who had become the dean of the Mirage School. Uh, but the story is he was my dean for many years at the University of Wisconsin. His opinion when he got out here, there was not really any sort of formal real estate program uh, in the business school or anywhere around down here. USC did have their program up up north. And he said, what is wrong with this picture? So we need to do this. So he and uh, his colleagues at at UCI combined their talents to recruit me and my wife here. My wife was a professor in education, later became a founding dean of the School of Education there, to really start up the program here and get that organized in a similar fashion to what we had at our center and real estate program at Wisconsin. So I began that process, and um, and when the time came that I knew I was going to be becoming emeritus at 70 and a half or so, um, I, um, it was time to recruit a successor and to get the best person who was out there, uh, and I happened to find him, uh, I believe, in Ed Coulson, uh, who has done a superb job, and I think he was on one of your He was. He was on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And so it comes full circle. Yes. And so we're, we're happy to have you, and we're glad you made the trek out and got out of the cold. I did the same, and I know how it goes. Um, <laughs> I love the Midwest. I just uh, don't want to go there in the winter. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so here we are today, right, and you're still going and, and still taking uh, a hard look at what happens with the economy and, and the different factors that go into not only the real estate market, but th- those that sort of guide it and affect it. And we could probably do an entire show on your background. I'm impressed and, and uh, certainly uh, extensive and, and uh, we're glad with all the uh, contributions that you've made for UCI to help it grow. So thank you for all that you have done and continue to do. Thank you. I want to take sort of a high level look. I want to go backwards in time relative to Orange County, relative to Southern California. We've done many shows on trying to focus on what's happening today and what's going to happen tomorrow. And people watch the stock market and it goes up and it goes down and people watch the real estate market and interest rates. But really economics and and a broader scope of things is really more in a wider time period. And so let's rewind to Orange County. Uh, Orange County, historically, agriculture 
historically not really the center of real estate and the center of tourism. It became a tourism place when the train came in with the beaches and all of that. But from your perspective, how, how did Orange County get to where it is today in terms of getting on the map? Yeah. Barry, that area was not exactly my core area of doing research and interest at the time. I was involved in a lot of issues relating to valuation of complex property interests, of uh, mortgage default risk, and expert witness testimony in a number of cases relating to those those issues. But what always fascinated me about Orange County, and part of the reason I was attracted here, is because it has an immensely unique story and an immensely unique situation, I think, in terms of urban development, came interested into the sort of things that occurred. Were there some major aha moments, similar to what I had with with Gerald Hines, that made a huge difference uh, in retrospect, in looking back in time, with respect to the future? And were those things, were they foreseen? Did they foresee the future? Or was it just serendipity? Things happened uh, in such a way. And I began looking back at that and, and can give you a few of those points and yeah, major I mean, dates if that, uh, that's of interest. Yeah, I mean, look, for, for me, I, I grew up uh, in the Midwest, but uh, we moved and I, I spent my high school days in San Diego and I went to college at, UC, at UCLA in Los Angeles. And so for me, stopping off in Irvine was I used the restroom and I'd look at the orange <laughs> trees. And, you know, I'm not that old, whereas I'm all the way back in time. but. There wasn't a whole lot of reasons to yeah. stop uh, unless maybe you were going to hit the beach or the restroom. Yeah. And and then all of a sudden it really starts taking off. Right. No, it really has been a long traipse back to the past. My first exposure actually personally to Southern California beyond going to Disneyland as a kid soon after it opened uh, was as a tracking missiles coming out of Vandenberg from San Nicolas Island, which was a Navy uh, tracking station. And I spent weekends with a friend, father lived in, his parents lived in uh, Santa Ana at that time, was an engineer, and uh, they spent their weekends down in Laguna Beach. And we'd go down to Morrow Beach, which is now cleared out, it's Crystal Cove. Right, right. And uh, we would do various things that I won't speak of now. Uh, down on the beach, but we all had that same impression of this place. Uh, but it really goes back in time. If you actually start, what were the things that you'd really identify? I'd have to say the first thing would be in the 1850s, around 1857, when I think the first agricultural community was formed in Anaheim with a group of immigrants from, from Germany. And um, they formed, that was the beginning of Anaheim. That's a German name I didn't realize at the time. That was just the beginning, really, of the agricultural system here. Prior to this, there was some winemaking and all of that, but not really active marketing of agricultural product with larger scale, by their standards, uh, farms. And that began that whole process. So that initiated, after that, the formation of some of what we call the agricultural market towns out in North in particular. But the South still remained. At that time, it was still very much the Irvine Ranch and so forth was pristine. It was primary ranching. And agriculture did not uh, extend uh, that far at the beginning. But then going, I guess, to the next big thing that was purposeful and well-known, the Central Pacific Railroad, Huntington, they were 
funding to try to extend that. They had gone as far as Fullerton and ultimately down to Santa Ana by 1876, but it couldn't go any further. And it turned out, when it got into this, it was a major battle between Huntington at that time, Collis Huntington, and James Irvine. Irvine would not let them go through his land. And you say, well, what difference does that make anyway? Didn't. Well, it turned out it made a lot of difference because that maintained the intensity of that agriculture up there. They didn't really have the transport network, the marketing network. There weren't the sort of roads that we see today down to the South County. And so as a result, a lot of that activity stayed up at the north. You say, well, it's not good for Irvine, right? Well, maybe in the short run it wasn't. Maybe in the longer run it was. It probably maybe, was. Maybe right? it was. But in the end, Huntington was able to stop that development. Now, later, the Santa Fe came through here, obviously went down to to Capistrano, but that was a number of years number of years later. And that really opened it up for people to come from Los Angeles that, that, or San Diego yeah. and to be able to get to Orange County to get for down a day, there. right? That's right. But there was less of that because it wasn't so much well, they didn't have good transport to the beach. I mean this was all right. all inland and it only went so far as Santa Ana at the time. The next big thing is like in eighteen eighty nine and that was when Orange County voted to essentially secede from L.A. County and form its own county and ultimately selected Santa Ana. There was competition, but ultimately selected Santa Ana as the, as the county seat. And that was a very, in retrospect, huge because it's created this sense of separateness that we have our own economy here, we have our own activity. So from a legal standpoint, and in retrospect, looking back now, especially with respect to the issues confronting sort of Los Angeles, many parts of Los Angeles County, those sorts of things were not influencing us at the time. It wasn't, you know, the county seat was not elsewhere. It, yeah. was, down, it was down here. The next thing is, is uh, actually in 1904, and this very is when they actually did get to the coast. That's when Huntington brought his red line down to the coast to Newport, and that opened up you know, the first access, or at least good rail access, the roads were not yet in, in great shape, but they did start to be uh, be built. By the 1920s, we were getting a road system going through, and there were the beginnings of activity through the county. Very active agricultural community, especially up north. The beginnings of that down in the south county also, and the beginnings of the development of the beach towns where weekenders and so forth right, come right. down. So that occurred beginning in 1926, I think, is when they completed the, the highway through to um, San Diego. And then, luckily, I mean, growth was starting to begin, but that put an immediate stop to with the Depression, the Great Depression, and then the years of war. So from 1930 or so to 1945, uh, we were in a situation here where growth and migration essentially stopped. stopped right. There was very little growth. And so, as a result, in 1945, that was the next major, of course, many servicemen coming back, huge amounts of migration, huge bulge in population growth in the late 40s, early 50s, going on through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So that post-war growth really started to have an impact. That was something that early on was relatively untouched down in South County and Irvine and further south. 
these were the remnants of the old Spanish land grants right, right. that were held by a number of individuals we all we all know about. And this comes to that next major jump in what went on. And it just happened to be at the right time to have the right sort of thing happen. That's from around 1957 through the early 60s. And that was when the Irvine Company was built. They had a lot of controversy, which most people who have been in Orange County for some time are well aware about how should it be developed. It was a mobile oil and development company for a while that had a certain or potential rights. They were going to acquire much of the Irvine Ranch for their own plans for development. Uh, that was when folks like Joan Irvine Smith uh, and uh, Donald Bren uh, ultimately played uh, a huge role in. And some people aren't aware of it, but Al Taubman, who was a former head of Sotheby's. Right, he was a partner, right? He was a partner. He was a partner in all of that, and he was actually chairman of the board of the Irvine Company for a while. But uh, we brought him up here before he passed away. He lived in New York, obviously now. But he had fascinating stories to tell about that whole period. But the impact that those folks had on the future of development in terms of bringing in Pereira, the best of master planning at that time, right, right. at least. And, what and, now you, and then when they came on board, you had a road system, you had master planning, you had residential communities. That's right. And then it was a draw. And right. that's right. And then that really shaped the South County and really set the platform for what we, what we have today. I guess I won't go into the details of all of that. Well, so but, let's fast forward because I've been taking copious notes and I'm prepared for the exam at the end of the show <laughs> and I've brought my number two pencil. But it's fascinating stuff and really agricultural to a suburban environment to today, which is really, while it's still suburban, it's pretty well built out. And now the next phase of what's happening is you have redevelopment you have highest and best use, and you have cities individually trying to look at how they are able to deal with the continued growth, the continued migration, the continued housing issues and economic issues that are going to impact them going forward. And so now I want to sort of shift it, and we'll take the needle and, and kind of look forward. And, and when I say forward, I don't mean tomorrow or next week. But if we're going to look out 5 or 10 or 15 years and, and project what Orange County might look like or the coastal areas or the inland uh, areas, there are certain, I guess, broader scope issues relative to the housing and labor force and, and the dynamics of the economic environment. What is your take on where Orange County is going forward and what will be the sort of the next aha moments, if you right, will, right. and what are the major things that you think will impact sort of the real estate market and the development and growth? Long question. It is. I, hopefully it won't be a, a long answer. <laughs> we but, may have to extend the show. Uh, we'll extend the show. And th this comes to why is the history important, right? It has to do with that the history can inform the future in a way, because you can see the major factors that have evolved that have put us in the situation that we have today, which is by and large very positive relative to some of our uh, competitor areas. And you talk uh, and you talk about oh, Orange County versus L.A. or versus Inland Empire, and while it's all part of the Southern California dynamic, and they are interrelated, really Orange County's got its own sort of unique set of circumstances. It does, and, and there are a number of areas that we'll touch upon where where we do have the unique situation, in part because of the history and the decisions that were made serendipitously or purposefully. But there's one thing, if you, if you look at those folks who actually study city development, both economists as well as uh, planners and social scientists, but there are certain things that are, are just clear. That first, cities are dynamic over time. 
the growth takes place, there's a lot of uncertainty with respect to what the future holds, but there are things that we know as growth takes place that it'll always increase distances among activities. You have to go further and further as cities get larger. Increases congestion and density because with all that activity and more people moving around, that's always the case. Increases prices, rents, and costs for land, housing, commercial development services, for everything. And that, that's clear within the city because you have these, what we call supply and elasticities of where this can be, you can match demand and supply for various activities in the city. Growth with supply constraints, where there's rigid growth boundaries possibly, allocations for uh, open space, there can be many rationales for the existence of that, which could be good, but they're also, they drive up prices even higher because inelastic supply uh, for future development will naturally drive up drive up prices. Uh, growth increases competition because you have more bodies. As you get a critical mass of individuals out there, uh, they, they create a competitive environment on the demand and the supply side. It increases uh, diversity. Uh, and what that means is for every interest group you have, and maybe for every ethnic group you have, there are affinity groups that have a critical mass. I mean, there's not every place that can have a little Ethiopia and so forth. Right, so right. we have those. But what has happened here is, as we're all aware, is we're in a very sort of supply-constrained market now, in part because we've just grown to the edge of our boundaries, to the developable land and the sea. We also have large allocations to open space. We have parks all very positive, but the reality is that land is becoming increasingly inelastic in its availability. Another thing that history informs us is their cycling of neighborhoods, of, of subdivisions, of business centers, uh, that properties age over time. If you look at the average life of a property, it could be 30 to 50 years. Yeah. And in some cases, it's less, less than that with rapid growth. And you, and you see that pretty prevalent in the East Coast and in the Midwest where you've seen, you know, re-sort of inventing of different neighborhoods, uh, whether that's ethnicity, whether that's redevelopment of properties. And, and to me, Orange County is not old enough to have had multiple cycles like you would see yeah. with that. But you're starting now to see that. When, right. and you see that in, in parts of Anaheim. You see that in uh, west side of Costa Mesa. You see that in parts of San Clemente where you have older areas that are now you know, getting redeveloped for the next cycle of what's to come. Yeah, right, Barry. Now, some of it is starting now. We actually do have that. Uh, in fact, and most people Turn. aren't aware of this, it's it's the highest density of any large city in the country beyond, I think there are three cities, San Francisco, uh, Boston, and New York. It may have been the three. Santa Ana has over 300,000, but it, it's older. Yeah, Anaheim is older now, and you're getting the recycling I sit on the board of Jamboree Housing, affordable housing sure, uh, sure. developer, and many of our projects in Orange County have been either redevelopment of infill sites that are either vacant or uh, that have existing older motels on them that have been converted now or converting to affordable housing provisions. So you're seeing an increasing proportion of what's going on, including in the business parks, where yeah. they're recycling some of the older industrial warehouse stock 
and you have new facilities going up. You know, repurposed you know, like, facilities. Repurposed, also. right. We talk about right. that all the time, right? right. You, you, uh, even with the shopping malls or with older uh, right. uh, antiquated office buildings. You know, to me, that's a cycle of highest and best use. And right. I think that, you know, business will drive and entrepreneurship will drive some of that redevelopment and, right. and some of that uh, regentrification of these right. neighborhoods. And it drives it, but the extent to which it can actually take place is dependent heavily on the sort of restrictions or lack thereof of allowing that to happen. And we don't know with land use regulatory policy could be very restrictive in that regard, yeah. especially as it relates to the housing market. And, and that could really be uh, provide a great deal of restriction on the natural transformation or the term that, that economists oftentimes use, the filtering of the stock and the rejuvenation, the renovation of the stock. And to the extent that we want to rigidly impose this and put the entire urban development framework into a, a rigid skeleton does not permit uh, the county to continue to grow and to be economically viable in the same or, or socially viable in the same sort of way. So do you think you go up as opposed to out? Uh, some of it could be up. Some of it certainly could be up. Uh, and that could be encouraged. It depends upon the market. Let the market operate and operate within those those constraints so long as certain sort of objectives in terms of open space, environment, climate, quality of the climate, social objectives are, are satisfied. And but do you see that, unlike Los Angeles, where you have all these little pockets of neighborhoods and, and they have all different uh, other issues with congestion and other things, do you think that Orange County will uh, learn from looking north and try and stay away from that? Or is it an inevitability that the more people that come, the more congestion you have and, and the more uh, people that are here, you have some of the same issues that yeah. we have in Los Angeles? We have the benefit of sort of knowing what they did back in the 60s and 70s in terms of creating the great environment we have now. But going forward in time, there, there's still, it's jury is still out on the extent to which master plan communities can actually be organic and not just rigid and allowing the markets to evolve. For example, the Irvine Business Park, when it became apparent that some of those properties were not really the highest and best use right. as they were at that time, uh, there was some conversion to residential, and you're starting to see increasing amount of that in various sorts of things. And there seems to be an acceptance in certain contexts of that sort of thing going on. There is a valid question as to what extent master planning, if rigidly uh, employed and maintained, can have an adverse effect going forward. I think that's one of the major issues we have to face going forward. So let's bring it full circle because I told you it'd go fast when we started and it <laughs> did and we only have two minutes left. And right. so I want to bring it home for the folks out there that are listening. We're talking high level stuff and I enjoy it. But in terms of the average person who's out there who looks at it and says, geez, should I stay in Orange County for the long haul? Is this a affordable, uh, worthwhile place for me to be with all the pluses and the minuses that it has? Should I buy a home and, and is that a worthwhile long-term investment or hold on to my cash? I know those are those are economic things as opposed to the broad picture, but what's your advice to people in the long-term for Orange County? Is it continue to be one of the top, in my opinion, one of the top places in the country to live and to work? Well, that's my opinion too, Barry, so we wouldn't be out here. Uh, I mean, one of the things that attracted my wife and me here is that Orange County is not, frankly, as embroiled in some of the major ideological 
extreme issues that are confronting this country today. Right, right. That there are certain a lot of discussion out there. That's not to say we're ignoring problems or but we're not or just hot giving thing. hot, you know, carte blanche to anyone to do whatever mm -hmm. they want. But I think this is a place where there is rational dialogue going on. You see it going on in all of these communities, and I think there's a very good relationship between the public, the private, and the nonprofit sector here. And this is, I didn't get a chance to do a plug for UCI, but it's played a major role in this in a way, and I think will be a major role, and, and all the educational institutions. Well, and you've seen them all and, really grow uh, dramatically exactly. over the course of the past, you know, not even that long, but 10, 20 years, really. Exactly. You get on the board, whether it's Fullerton or Cal State or Chapman or or certainly UCI. That's that's correct, yeah. And no, we're in a very good place, and I'm very optimistic, frankly, so long as there's recognition that this change is going to occur. We're not going to maintain everything in exactly the same situation that we've been in all the time. That change will occur, and hopefully will occur, because it has to occur yeah. if we're going to continue to be viable. Yeah, my take on it is: look, I, I like the diversity, uh, f f uh, diversity of uh, the uh, business opportunities, the diversity of the population, the diversity of cultures, and at the same time, I like the fact that this, I think, long term will continue to be a desirable place for people to want to live and work. And so, long term, as it relates back to the real estate, if we bring it home, I think the investment in real estate in Orange County for those out there looking to buy, whether it's a house or a building or an investment property. We've talked about it before. If you buy it now and you're in it for the long haul, you should be just fine. Well, having been here for 17 years now, know. I can attest to that fact. Yeah. So. so if you're thinking about it, dig deep. The, the difficult part is barrier to entry is certainly very difficult, especially in today's environment. But I think long term, Orange County is here to stay. Orange County is going to continue to be a viable desirable place to live and work and carrie I, I thank you for sharing your thoughts with us and uh, we could go all day and i wish we had more time and we'll have you back maybe later in the year we'll take a look back and, and look at some other issues but again uh, much continued success to you and the group thanks at UCI. thanks for coming on thank board. you barry yeah so i am barry saywitz uh, president of the saywitz company and we are out of time but uh, thank you again to all of our listeners and our viewers out there for tuning in and we'll see you back here next week on let's talk real estate. Well, there you have it. You've been listening to Let's Talk Real Estate, your weekly BS with Barry Saywitz about the current state of the real commercial real estate market right here in Southern California. On Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio. Streaming live from our studio here at the University of California, Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.